It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. And on today's show, we're going to talk about the Thunder's first postseason win all series long against the Houston Rockets. The first postseason win, I'll get to recap on Locked on Thunder. The series is now 2-1 and one with a pivotal Game 4 coming up on Monday afternoon. Coming into this game, Oklahoma City had never gone down 3-0 in a postseason series since moving to Oklahoma City, and that streak stays alive. The, the Rockets had no Russell Westbrook, and Nick Nurse was named NBA Coach of the Year by the media. For those of you that were confused by that, Billy Donovan won Co-Coach of the Year for the award that gets voted on by the coaches, but the media award is the one that really matters, and it was given to Nick Nurse earlier today. This game was frustrating. This game uh, had me losing my voice, as you can probably tell right now. This game was everything you want in playoff basketball if you're a casual observer and everything that makes you lose hair if you're a fan of one of these two teams. This was an incredible basketball game, but still so many frustrating moments for Oklahoma City, like Billy Donovan being an absolute mess in the postseason, like Steven Adams playing just insane amount of minutes until he literally got hurt, which was the best thing to happen to Oklahoma City, although you never want to see someone get hurt, but that was the best thing to happen to Oklahoma City was Adams going out with an injury. There's just so much to talk about, and let's just start in that first quarter where it was pretty clear that Steven Adams was not going to stay around this series, and if he did, the Thunder would have a terrible time, and they did have a terrible time with Steven Adams on the floor in this series, and I hope that this overtime period uh, in this game in which the Thunder won an 11-0 run with a small ball lineup proved to Billy Donovan you've got to match the Rockets with, with speed, and you've got to match them with a small ball unit that can score offensively. You cannot have Steven Adams out there. He is atrocious in the postseason. He is a 
terrible player, especially inside of this matchup here. He's been played off the floor in each of the last three postseasons by Rudy Gobert, Enos Kanter, and this small ball lineup. So what exactly is the lineup for Steven Adams? What exactly is the matchup for Steven Adams? He could not stay on the floor against Rudy Gobert. He could not stay on the floor against Enos Kanter. He could not stay on the floor against P.J. Tucker and Jeff Green. So what's the matchup for Steven Adams that's going to work? Steven Adams scores six points in this game on seven shots. It took a center against a 6'5 opponent to score six points on seven shots. He took seven shots to get six points against Jeff Green. He had four fouls, three turnovers, and three rebounds. Only two of them came, came on the offensive end. Delino Gallinari got two offensive rebounds in five minutes of the overtime period. Steven Adams provides you nothing in this series. The best thing to happen to Steven Adams was playing that game one uh, where his stat sheet looked good, which I talked about in this show, and it, it happened in the afternoon in the, on a weekday, so nobody noticed what was actually happening in that game, and he was being just absolutely a liability out there the same way he was in this game where the stat sheet reflects it. In 35 minutes, he can only score six points on seven tries. He is atrocious. He goes 0 for 3 from the line, so even whenever the team fouls him, the Houston Rockets foul him, he can't cash in. He should not be on this floor anymore, and you saw that in overtime. You saw that exact thing in overtime. I get it. Steven Adams is a fan favorite. You all love him. He is, he's amazing in interviews. He's a smart guy. He's a fun guy. He's a nice guy. All of that stuff is well and good, but on the basketball floor, he's a liability, and he's a bad basketball player. And you can say his body is breaking down. That's fine. If that's what it is, that's fine. I think that's what it is as well. Uh, but the bottom line is you don't get to play a guy just because you like him. You should be trying to win basketball games, and Steven Adams does not help you win this game. In the first quarter, he gets blocked by Robert Covington. He gets stripped by Robert Covington, and the Rockets were out-rebounding the Oklahoma City Thunder. That cannot happen. What exactly would you say you do here, Steven Adams, against the Houston Rockets? If you can't close out on three-pointers, you didn't provide much rim protection, and you can't rebound the basketball, and you can't score. And you can't make free throws whenever they foul you because you're too big. So what exactly does Steven Adams do besides be a fan favorite? Sometimes you have to separate feelings from what's happening on the floor. The feelings say it's a great thing to have Steven Adams out there because you love to watch him play. And he is, again, a fan favorite. What's actually happening on the floor is that Steven Adams is, is the reason why this series is 2-1 in Houston's favor. You saw it in overtime. When Steven Adams leaves the floor, this team gets immensely better. It happened against Portland. It happened against Utah. Billy Donovan has to adjust. And what's scary about that is that the, the only time he adjusted to this was whenever Steven Adams got hurt and you literally could not play him. I, I have a sick feeling that if Steven Adams was available for that overtime period, he would have played in that overtime period and the offense would have looked the exact same like, as it did in that first quarter. Steven Adams was just atrocious. And so is any traditional center. Nerlens Noel was no better. Nerlens Noel scored three points, and he just fell in love with trying to get blocks. He got zero on the board, but he he unnecessarily leaped into James Harden after the layup already fell off the rim trying to go for a block. You cannot play traditional centers against Houston. That's, that's the biggest complaint that you can have for this Thunder team because without those traditional traditional centers on the floor, this team gets so much better and unlocks a new potential for them against the Houston Rockets. I said it in every preview show, I don't think you can play Steven Adams or a traditional center because you cannot slow the game down for Houston. You cannot slow it down. You cannot dump it inside. And even whenever you do dump it inside, although they're 6'5", those are some of the best post post-up defenders in the NBA. Those are some of the best defenders down low in the NBA despite being only 6'5". 
Look into the numbers. Look at what Houston has done. This is what Houston has done to beat teams because you, you just assume that Steven Adams and guys like that should feast. They get you six points on seven shots. Six points on seven shots. I don't know what you can see from Steven Adams to justify him being on the floor. Again, the best thing to happen for Steven Adams was that first game. If you look at the stat sheet, because you didn't watch the game, because it was on, on, on in the afternoon of a, of a weekday, and I saw many people not watching the game but claiming uh, that there was some, some basketball savant. He did not play very well at all. He really didn't. But the, box score, but the box score looked good. Now the box score reflects what he actually did in this ballgame. It's just, it's just that simple. It really is. Steven Adams cannot play in this series. It hurts to say that because I, too, love Steven Adams. But the bottom line is, as a basketball player, he's not very good anymore. His body's breaking down. He doesn't have it. He doesn't hustle as much because he can't. He just can't. His body's literally breaking on him. This should be the end of Steven Adams. He's not going to be around when you're ready to compete again. He can't stay on the floor against Rudy Gobert. He can't stay on the floor against Ian Scanner. He can't stay on the floor against P.J. Tucker. So who can he stay on the floor against? They've thrown, they've thrown on him Jeff Green, P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, Eric Gordon. He can't stay on the floor against those guys. So when is he going to stay on the floor? When is he going to stay on the floor and when is he going to be healthy? He had four months off leading up to this. Just freak injuries happen. I get it. Uh, but the bottom line for me is you just can't play Steven Adams. You just can't. You just can't. I don't see how anyone is still holding out hope for Steven Adams in this series. He makes one or two good plays. That's fine. That's not enough in the postseason. Whenever you, you could go to a guy like Darius Baisley, when you could go to a lineup that they threw out there, which is your three-guard lineup, keep Dort in there and move Gallinari to the five and just take out Adams. That's a beautiful lineup for this team to run. Beautiful. There are so many better options out there than just just pounding your head against a desk and putting out Steven Adams because he's a traditional center and you need a center. You don't need a center. Houston has shown you you don't need a center. Again, in this very ball game, Oklahoma City was out-rebounded with Steven Adams on the floor. Now, the numbers evened out, and eventually Oklahoma City did win the rebounding battle in this one. Uh, but that was, had nothing to do with Steven Adams. He didn't protect the paint. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't close out on threes which is not only uh, a negative for him. This whole team kind of didn't know what they were doing defensively. This, uh, up until late in that game, they were halfway guarding the rim, halfway closing on drives, and then halfway closing out on threes. Therefore, nothing was actually defended at all. I and mean, Houston could do whatever they wanted to. But you saw late in that game, they finally did what I said. Hey, just let him drive. Let, let him get a wide open layup. I'm not going to come help you. If he blows by you, that's fine. That's two points. I'm not going to leave a three-point shooter out here alone. That's all you had to do against Houston. And you had to go small, and you had to go fast. It's amazing. At that end of the game, what everyone has been saying is going to work against Houston worked against Houston. I don't know what took so long for Billy Donovan or anyone to adjust, but it's finally adjusted. Let's see if it carries over into Monday. But after the break, we're going to talk about Billy Donovan, and then we're going to shift over into some just incredible moments like Shea, like Dort, like Chris Paul late in this game. There were some very big positives to take away from this game, but we've got to talk about Billy Donovan coming up. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. 
available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So Billy Donovan, once again, is being outcoached in the postseason. Uh, he's, he's not having a great series, and, and that shouldn't be a, a revelation to anyone. That shouldn't be uh, breaking news to anyone. That shouldn't make you angry. If you bring up uh, his first year in the postseason where he had Kevin Durant, Serge Ibaka, Russell Westbrook, Nick Collison, a good Deion Waiters, a good Steven Adams, if you bring that up, there's no conversation we had. Yes, he was very good his first year. So was the team. Since then, there's been countless, countless examples of him not adjusting, of him not doing the right things. And he and what's so frustrating is that he sh- he's shown in that first year he knows how to adjust, he knows how to take in new information, and he can do it. But since then, he's just been so frustrating, just so frustrating and so stubborn. I will say that the reason I've always defended Billy Donovan is because at the end of the day, the playoffs are about your stars. And Russell Westbrook and, and Paul George failed over and over again with that pairing. And then the second year, you know, his second year, whenever it was only Russell Westbrook and that was it and Victor Oladipo, sure, play Victor Oladipo more instead of instead of having Shamaj Krishna as your backup point guard. I'm not going to nitpick that. We all knew that was a terrible team. It, it was a miracle that they were the postseason, they were five seasons. It was a miracle. So I'm not going to nitpick that series. But since then, uh, you also can't take too much from it because at the end of the day, again, the postseason's about your stars, and your stars sucked. Paul George sucked. Russell Westbrook sucked. And that was all. You, that's all she wrote. That's all you can do. He tried to make adjustments. He tried to play Jeremy Grant at that five spot, which was just brilliant, uh, and unlocked a new level for Jeremy Grant heading into that second season. Uh, and that was an amazing adjustment. But at the end of the day, he, he needed Russell Westbrook. He needed Paul George. Neither one of them stepped up. And both of them were terrible. Both of them were. And Paul George was hurt. I get that. But Russell Westbrook was terrible. Paul George was terrible. And Paul George has been awful in the postseason his whole career. So so I don't even hold any of the past postseasons against him. And I don't hold this postseason against him. Frankly, I don't care what Billy Donovan does uh, in the postseason. I don't care about his past. I don't care about what he's doing this time. Uh, in the sense of evaluating his future. When I look at his future, I look at this team is going to lose next year. They're going to purposely lose. They're going to tank. They're going to purposely lose the next year. And they might even purposely lose the year after that. This team is heading for a tank. Now, it's going to be a short tank because you have Shea, because you have Baisley, because you have Dort, because you have 15 first-round picks. So I don't really care who's on the bench getting those losses as long as I trust them to develop young players, and I do trust Billy Donovan to develop young players. So keeping around Billy Donovan should not be so divisive. I get it. He's been a bad postseason coach. He's been frustrating this series playing Steven Adams, just banging his head against the wall and being so stubborn that he's going to play Adams and Noel most of those minutes. I get it. I'm frustrated too. But at the end of the day, moving forward from this season, that should not be in your decision-making process of if if you want Billy Donovan back. What should be is if you trust him to mold young talent. Not even find young talent because I don't think any coach will have any say into who gets picked on this roster or doesn't. That is fully and totally on Sam Presti. And again, I don't think Billy Donovan will be here. Even if they sign an extension this offseason, I don't think Billy Donovan will be here the next time this team wins. He will not be on the bench the next time this team has the playoff banner behind him at the, at the podium. The next time this team is in the postseason, I don't think Billy Donovan's your coach. So I just can't get upset about firing Billy Donovan. Uh, you know, st- Stubbornly playing Steven Adams was atrocious, but whenever you're tanking, there aren't those decisions to make. In my opinion, Darius Baisley should have gotten way more minutes than in this game than anyone. Not only is he providing an asset to you on the floor, his minutes 
have been valuable to this team. He's also a young guy you want to you want to try to nurture and, and try to grow. And on top of that, he's been better than Steven Adams objectively in this series. So why wasn't he on the floor more in this game? Why has it been why hasn't he been on the floor more this series? That, that's what I want to know from Billy Donovan. The thing is though, there isn't these decisions to make for a tanking team. You're only going to be left with playing Lou Dort, Baisley, uh, Shea next year. That's going to be your only options. That's going to be your starters. That's going to be the, the guys that get the most minutes because you're trying to grow them. Do you trust Billy Donovan to grow those players? That's all you need to look at when you're deciding if you want to support Billy Donovan or not. I don't care about the postseason. I don't care about what happened last year, the year before, the year prior. There are plenty of excuses to go around for Billy Donovan if you, if you just love Billy Donovan. There are plenty of reasons to hate him if you just want to hate him. But what it boils down to is do you trust him? Do you trust him to grow Shea? Do you trust him to grow Dort? Do you trust him to grow Baisley? Do you trust him to grow some of these first-round picks that Presti drafts? And if you do, keep him around, let him lose games, let him grow your talent, and then fire him. The flip side of that coin is, though, why on earth would Billy Donovan want to do that? We're all looking at this as, why should the Thunder bring back Billy Donovan? Billy Donovan might not want to be here anymore. He knows this team's going to tank. He can go back to his Hall of Fame career in college. He can go try to find another NBA job. So Billy Donovan's future is not going to be and shouldn't be decided by this postseason run. It just shouldn't. Or or any of his past postseason failures. Because that's not what the future's about. The fut- After this series is over, after this playoff run is over, meaningful basketball ceases to exist in Oklahoma City for at least two years. So I don't care if Billy Donovan is a winner or, or is not a winner in the NBA. I don't care. I care about what he can develop and what he can grow in the NBA. So that's my take on this whole firing Billy situation. Yes, he's been terrible this postseason. And yes, you can look at the last uh, three or four postseasons and say he's been terrible as well. I get that. There's also excuses to those postseasons on the other side for Billy. What it boils down to is, do you trust him? Can he grow some talent? Can he grow some young players? And one of those young players is going to be Lou Dort. And I know he only had nine points. I know he went three for 10 from the field, 0 for 6 from deep. But he got you eight rebounds, three blocks, and he fouled out James Harden and frustrated the hell out of James Harden. James Harden got 11 free throws in this game on his way to 38 points. He went 44% from the field, 23% from deep. He did not have a good game despite the 38 points. And he fouled out. Because of Lou Dort. Lou Dort was tremendous, and he is truly a building block for this team. And that contract is going to go down as one of the best in NBA history. He's locking up James Harden each time he's faced him this season, including the postseason, as a rookie who didn't get to practice with this team because he's on a two-way deal. He's simply locking up James Harden on an island. He can truly be one of the best defenders we've ever seen. One of the best defenders we've ever seen. Lou Dort is part of your future. When you talk about your future, it's mainly been Shea and 15 first-round picks. Now, it's Shea, it's Baisley, it's Dort and 15 future first-round picks. Your future continues to get brighter and brighter and brighter. There's been a lot of negatives out of this series. But most of them have come from guys who will not matter for Oklahoma City, even a year from this point, much less two, three, or four years down the line. But 
Dort has been a, a, a glimmer of hope, and he has been someone who has put your future on front street of how good this team will be. And you've got to look around Oklahoma City, and you've just got to feel incredibly blessed to go from the all-time greats, the players that have played in, in, in this city, in this state, the players who have played here, who will go on and stand the test of time in basketball lore and basketball history. You move from that, from the Kevin Durant's, from the Russell Westbrook's, from the James Harden's, you move from that to Chris Paul, you move from that to Shea and 15 future first-round picks. And I know that Sam Presti drafted three straight MVPs, and that was a lot of luck. There's a lot of luck luck involved in drafting. But you cannot tell me that you do not trust Sam Presti in 15 tries to nail two guys. You need to add two guys next to Shea, who Shea can fit around anyone you put next to him, which gives you even more flexibility. Your future is incredible in Oklahoma City. And that's a credit to Sam Presti, and that's a credit to Paul George. Because Paul George could have made a mess of things. If he would have made a mess like Anthony Davis did, that nukes the trade value of Paul George. He does not have the pull and the cachet to still cash in for your team the way the Pelicans were able to still cash in for AD. So a little bit of credit goes to, goes to Paul George. Most of the credit goes to Sam Presti for working that behind the scenes. But your future is incredible no matter what happens in this series. And speaking of this series, it's a 2-1 series right now. I get it. It was a wild way to get here. It, it does not feel good to be here. None of these games have felt good as a fan. Now, this game three was an incredible basketball game. But as I mentioned, as a fan, it is a heart-wrenching, hair-losing basketball game. So none of these games felt good. But you're at a 2-1 series right now. And I think anyone, even the ones who predicted Oklahoma City to win this series, would have taken a 2-1 series at the start of the series. If I go back to Sunday night, I I bet any of you would have signed the dotted line for a 2-1 series right now heading into Game 4. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. And that's what you have on the table right now. And you've you've just shown to Billy Donovan that the way to beat Houston, and I know they didn't have James Harden on the floor, but the way to beat Houston is to match them by going small. It's not to throw out their Steven Adams. It's not to throw out their Norris Noel. It's to go small. We'll talk about that and much more on the other side. So I just want to break down that fourth quarter a little bit because I think that we've covered the rest of the game. I mean, it was Stephen Adams being frustrating and this team just barely hanging around. In the fourth quarter, Billy Donovan takes out Lou Dort for the three-guard lineup and keeps Stephen Adams in that ballgame. The Rockets in that time go on a 4 nothing run. And then he puts Lou Dort back out there and takes out Gallo instead of Adams. And then Shea nails a tremendous shot. Just a, a, I don't know how to describe the feelings uh, that I think everyone 
that was cheering for Oklahoma City had when Shea nails that wide-open three with ice in his veins to give Oklahoma City the lead with 13 seconds left. I, I just cannot even describe how good that felt. And again, it's another glimpse into your future. And then Daniel House gets bailed out with a terrible call uh, where he just trips. He was not tripped, uh, but he trips and, and he gets to the line, but the ball doesn't lie. He goes one for two from the free throw line. Oklahoma City ball at this point, eight seconds left. And mind you, Billy Donovan, there's a reason that he's in the coach of the year discussion and he finished third. I think he should have finished second. Billy Donovan has been nails on the out of timeout plays. He's been fantastic when calling t- when, when calling plays out of a timeout. The action he uses on those side-out plays is impeccable. But to end the game, you had Chris Paul driving into traffic and throwing up a behind-the-back layup, a behind-the-head layup. It, of course, misses, and you go to overtime. This was your first overtime period in, in playoff history for Oklahoma City since 2014. And immediately, with four minutes left in overtime, Lou Dort gets the sixth foul on James Harden. Truly great. That was just amazing. Adams was hurt, so he could not play, which, again, you never want anyone to be hurt, but that was a a blessing in disguise for Oklahoma City because it forced Billy Donovan's hand and showed Billy Donovan this team needs to go small. You go on an 11-0 run to end overtime, and that's your ball game. But in the midst of all of that was Houston almost getting, almost stealing this one, going up 3-0 in this series and changing the entire landscape of this postseason by a dreadful call where Chris Paul and James Harden get tied up and James Harden just simply falls on his own and starts acting like his shoulder hurts and, and gets a call that results in, the, in, in a free throw and the ball back. And then they threw away the out-of-bounds pass because, again, the ball does not lie. But James Harden is the softest NBA player I've ever seen. James Harden is a disgrace. I, I, really, I really think, I truly think that James Harden, his legacy will not be the stats. His legacy will not be how good of a player he was when he was actually trying to play basketball. His legacy will be that moment. Moments like that where he just flops and takes all of the fun out of basketball. He takes all of the life, all of the energy, all of the passion, all of the greatness that is this sport out of it by flopping and doing unnecessary stuff that almost cost us an amazing game. I mean, that game should have been over whenever they called that foul before the inbounds pass was made. That game should have been over. Houston should have won that game at that point. All because James Harden is soft as Charmin. All because James Harden can't just play basketball. He doesn't think he can beat you straight up, so he needs to hook your arm. He needs to flop. He needs to kick you. He needs to act like he's hurt and cry all the time because he does not think he can beat you straight up. He does not think he can beat you if, you, if he has to play basketball. I think that's his legacy. And it's sad because he's a great player when he does try to play basketball, but there's some complex about him that thinks that he needs to flop, that thinks he needs to do these, this extra stuff to get calls and, and to beat you that way by going to the free throw line. And I think that that will be his legacy. There are so many good players in this league right now in this era that I don't see how you can value James Harden. I don't see how you can value James Harden in this league. He's a disgrace. What he does night in and night out is disgraceful, and it takes all of the fun out of the game. It takes all the fun out of it. Because he should have gotten away with beating Oklahoma City and going up 3-0 with that common foul before the inbounds was made by flopping. That should have won Houston the game, but the ball doesn't lie, and it didn't. 
because Houston can't make a damn inbounds pass. It was disgraceful. That almost cost us what could be a very good series. Because if you go down, if you go down 3-0, it's over. There's no chance. But now you win on Monday, whole new ball game. Whole new ball game. And the Thunder have done it before. They've came back from down 0-2 before. And this is a good start. But James Harden almost ruined what could be a great series by being soft. By having a complex about him that tells him he's not good enough. To me, James Harden, there's just no way you can value him over other players in this era that don't do that. I get it. Everyone complains. I don't care about the complaining. I care about the legitimate flopping that happens from James Harden. And it's not just flopping on a charge. It's not flopping on that kind of play. It's literally everything, like what we just saw. There was no reason to go down there. LeBron doesn't go down there. Russell Westbrook doesn't go down there. Kawhi doesn't go down there. No player tries that bullcrap other than James Harden because James Harden is scared he's not good enough. And he's not. He's not. He's shown you time and time again he's not good enough to just play basketball. He needs to take all the fun out of the game. James Harden is the worst good player to watch. He's the least entertaining good player to watch. He can't beat you straight up. He just can't. Disgraceful from James Harden. Now, now we'll preview game two on Monday morning, and it's going to be a lot of fun heading into that, to that afternoon game because it will really decide what this series will be. Again, if Oklahoma City wins it, we can go seven, and I can be right about my OKC and seven prediction. If OKC lose it, loses it, it's over. So we're going to see on, on Monday – it sounds silly, but from now on, each of these games is a must-win. And it's a must-win for both teams. James Harden literally hands you the game by flopping, and you throw it away. You literally throw it away. So you lose this game. If you lose Monday, you start to reel. And then Russell Westbrook comes back, and he starts to press, and he starts to do too much, and he starts to throw turnovers. He starts to play out of his head. He starts to play like he did against Ricky Rubio. And you lose another game, and you lose the series. So for, for Houston, they better put Oklahoma City away on Monday. Don't let Oklahoma City win on Monday, or else we are fully back. And I cannot wait to preview that game on Monday morning. It's going to be so much fun. But this series, again, so it's a wacky way to get here, but Oklahoma City is in a good position right now. They're in a good position. Again, you lose Monday and everything's changed. That's how volatile the playoffs are. But they're in a good position right now. I know it was a heartbreaking way to get here, and it wasn't pretty, but they got here. MVP of the game to me is Lou Dort because he did not allow he just did not allow James Harden to get comfortable. And don't look at the point category. I talked about it before. 38 points is fine. 11 of those came at the at the at the free throw line. 11 of those points came at the free throw line. He went 3 for 13 from deep and 12 for 27 from the floor. That's the numbers that matter. I I cannot say enough about about Lou Dort. But a big shout out to Chris Paul. Chris Paul responded to that dreadful game he had in game two and dreadful series he's had up until this point. And he really did not get going until the latter half of the third quarter, fourth quarter. He didn't get going until then, but he got going and he helped this team win this game. He was the leader they needed in 40 minutes. Shea was awesome as well. Schroeder was frustrating. I don't want him taking 10 threes. I just don't, but he was still good in this game. This Thunder team, if they play the way they played in the fourth quarter and overtime can beat the Rockets. But it's going to take Billy Donovan adjusting. It's going to take Billy Donovan not playing Steven Adams and not force-feeding us Steven Adams and, and Nerlens Noel. 
it started that way with Hamadou Diallo, and he finally backed off of Hamadou Diallo. Diallo gets zero minutes in this game like I, like I prayed he would. Now you have to cut down the Adams minutes. Adams played 35 minutes in this game. Noel played 12. That cannot happen. That just can't on Monday. But I'm going to preview this game in full on Monday. It's going to be so much fun. I appreciate everyone who's listened. The support on this podcast has been fantastic. Our numbers keep going through the roof month over month over month. We've never had a month that did not grow by at least 50% since I've taken over in May. Been fantastic ride. I appreciate everyone listening day in and day out. It's your only place for Thunder basketball every single day. So subscribe wherever it is you get your podcast from. Hit me up on Twitter. How are you feeling after this after this win? How are you feeling about this series now that we've seen three games? You can hit me up on Twitter at Rylan underscore styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Be good and be good to one another. We'll see you next time on Locked on Thunder. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.